It's the doc and the deacon, stethoscope and hope, talking everything from poop to the pope. One believing in spiritual miracles, the other believes in movement bowels that are irritable. Two dads, more like two brothers, and they breaking bread like the Last Supper. This show won't get negative feedback, that be like the deacon prescribing a Z-Pack. So don't get it twisted like a Philly pretzel, Foles already told y'all that Philly special. Take notes from the knowledge they're teaching, pay attention, it's the doc and the deacon speaking. Welcome to Doc and the Deacon Podcast, about two dads, one of us believing in the power of science, one of us believing in the power of Jesus, but both of us believing in the power of an ice-cold beer. And today we have a guest on, and this is maybe the most important guest we can have, and I'll tell you why. Because when we oh, can- Hold on, let me straighten up my, my tie. I, <clears throat> I, I want to I look great for important guests. I'm just, glad, okay. I'm just glad you wore pants and we're only 30 minutes late. That's right. I'm articulating well on this episode, Let's Go. <laughs> Good. <laughs> Whoa! All right, go ahead. So, when we started this idea, before we were going to record episodes, I had to call my boss and say, hey, I've got this idea of science versus religion, and we're maybe going to say some things a little bit different than the normal, hey, you should do this, hey, you should do that. This is going to be a little bit more doctors are real people. We can make fun of each other. We can make fun of religion. We can Jesus is a science. real person. That's oh, right. Okay. Yes, that's what we said. You're right. Science is real. It's a gift from God. Yes, we said that. And so my boss said, I, I think so. I think that's an okay idea. And so I want to uh, introduce Dr. Angela Nicholas, the medical director of Einstein, which is a, a pretty big job. And first, I want to say, what were you thinking when you said it was okay for us to do this? I thought this was going to be the best idea I've ever had. <laughs> you ever had, right? Why wouldn't I, I want to promote Doc and the Deacon? Yeah, right? I love it. It's I the love coolest it. thing ever. I love it. Yeah. A- after we did a few episodes, I sent it to her and I was like, yeah. I just want to make sure that I don't get fired because of anything the deacon says. <laughs> That's right. Well, you would be worried that the, 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 the doctor would say something? No, yes. it's all about the deacon. Yes. And you remember said. those were our early episodes where we talked the dad bod episode. And, and I think we talked about uh, Diarrhea. stool implants. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> like a stool transplant, right? I did listen to every single one. Oh, I yes. still do. Listen well, to every one. I I'm a fan. So I want to say the best part about Dr. Nicholas is the doorbell rings today. And my kids go and they <laughs> open the door and they hear, oh, daddy's boss is coming. And the door opens and Kyla goes, Daddy, well, earlier he goes, Daddy, why is your boss coming? And I was like, for Doc and the Deacon. And opens a door, and I'm coming over, <clears throat> and Kyla goes, why are you here? <laughs> and she goes, oh, you should, you should ask your dad. She goes, my dad said his boss was coming over. I thought it would be a boy. How about Whoa. that? Wow. Yeah. How about that? Huh? Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes I want to say. bosses are girls. Oftentimes yeah. bosses are my <laughs> boss at home as a woman. That's right. Wow, that's work right. as a that's woman. True. I mean, the CEO of the hospital is a woman. Yeah. I mean, listen, I'm, I'm pretty used to it. I quite like having a woman as a boss. I'm, yeah. I, well, you know what? Because I've had a lot of practice. Yeah. Like what's, what's the difference between men and women as bosses? So let's be honest. I don't think anything, but I think that the term sometimes when women are strong, sometimes I feel like they go, oh, that woman has a strong personality. No, they never say that. They, they straight throw out the B word. Oh, yeah, for sure. If she has a strong for personality, sure. yeah, it's the B a, word yeah. came right out. Yeah. I, I haven't heard that because I actually work with physicians. Yeah. But I hear cold sometimes. And I'm like, 
Because physicians have, have great manners, right? They, they're, <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah they oh, never yeah, the use bad words. Never, never. So as a, as a boss, as a manager, mm-hmm. how many doctors are you actually the boss of currently? I don't know. Over um, 50? Yeah, yeah, over 50. Do you remember the first time you had to fire someone? I do. Okay. I do. Did you? It wasn't, a, it wasn't a doctor, though. I mean, it was long ago in my career. Um, and it was, it, uh, I think it was a medical assistant or a nurse. Yeah, it's, it's not, it's obviously not something you want to do. But, you know, sometimes it's just not a good fit. Like, it's not a good cultural fit. And, you know, nobody wants to be in a job where people don't like them or they don't think they're doing well, right? Can we role play? Sure. Can you uh, pretend like the deacon is a medical assistant mm-hmm. and you're going to fire him? Oh, this would be like like Michael Scott used to do on The Office, where he fake fired everybody all the time. Right, right. Okay, okay what, what can I do to upset her as a medical assistant? Uh, listen, man, you know, that guy's vein, it was just too small, and I just could not get the needle. You know what? I'm not sticking to anybody else today. Hold on, I have to take a drink. Deacon, I, I, I think we need to have a conversation. I just had a conversation. I'm not sticking anybody with the needle again. That's okay, my well, conversation. Well, so I think, I think we need to talk about your ability to continue your employment here. I don't think that you're a really good fit for our organization, and I'm going to release you to the community. So your organization... <laughs> oh, oh, you got re- the like deacon, release. The deacon, the deacon <laughs> has been released say. to the community. I got nothing to say. I love it. There you go. I That's love amazing. It. Done. Do you think it's harder managing doctors than... Other people, because some would say that doctors have uh, higher levels of ego sometimes overall. What? That's not true. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I, I, I don't. Because you know what? Ultimately, all we are about to the core is taking care of patients. We're, we're about taking care of patients, right? So if we think, if I think about what their goal is and their goal is to take good care of patients, that's where I connect. And and I, you know, I think we're all people, right? So yeah. we all, you know, we all want to do the right thing and we all, you know, want to follow the rules for the most part. And I, you know, I, I don't find it any, you know, I, I think sometimes, you know, there's a little more egocentricity to them, but you know, we work through it. And, yeah. and I think I have decent relationships with the physicians I work with and, you know. You know, Angie, the church talks a lot about the same uh, analogy, mm-hmm. right? We often use, so Jesus was called the physician oftentimes yeah. in the Bible because yeah. um, he was the healer and he was someone who listened to people and he, you know, really focused on listening to them and their individual needs. And a lot of times Christians always in the church, a lot of times see themselves all as doctors. Yeah. And, and we try to say, no, 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 we're all just patients. Jesus is the doctor, even the pastor who has the most knowledge mm-hmm. and training when it comes to our faith. Mm-hmm. Um, we always say, you know, there's, it doesn't mean they have a greater level of faith. They just have more training when it comes yeah. to the understanding of faith and how it applies. But we often use the analogy of this is a hospital and we're just here to be patients with one another and let Jesus do the healing. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, and that's, and that's, that's what we talk about a lot in the, in the church. So I'm going to tell you the issue doctors have with management. And the good thing about Dr. Nicholas is that she is a doctor and she does see some, she sees patients. Mm-hmm. And so the dynamic with that is so much better than no offense to the people that have business degrees mm-hmm. that are trying to run a hospital who I oftentimes have said, Hey, 
come spend a day with me. We have right. people that work in different areas and they're trying to say of all these things that we need to do either documentation wise. And I'll tell you what I want. I want more money and I want staff that can get the work done so that the care I'm giving isn't watered down by other things. And so exactly. since you're here in front of me, I'll tell you what I want. Okay. More money. Yeah. And I have some staff that are so good. I, I wish I could find this dynamic on how do we have this staff member who's amazing? How do we pay her more? And how do we get some more staff members to come in and to, to keep them there? But the reality is that even as gifted of a physician as you are, and I point out that, that the doc is my primary care physician, um, and, and today's episode has been sponsored by Einstein Hospital. Einstein. Where you go in sick and come out well. Anyway, um, I'd like to say... Next week will be Jefferson Health. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, I, I think even, even the medical system, even as, as great a physician as you are, as capable, as qualified, as caring, as empathetic, I think you're very talented. Um, you're still limited by A, your resources, right? The, and B, the amount of time you have because... Although you have to provide and distribute care, you still have paperwork, the, uh, what do you call, all of the stuff behind the scenes that has to get done for each patient. Yeah. And it is not just care-oriented, a, a care-oriented job to be a physician anymore, right? I yeah. mean, there's so many other facets. How do you leave being just straight a physician to go to the other side in the Dark management side. of doctors? Yeah, it was not a plan. It just sort of happened. Um, you know, I started out as residency faculty, you know, way back. So I taught residents right when I graduated from my residency program. And, um, and then I was working with a group of physicians and, and, and in a hospital system. And there was a job posted. And I was a little challenged by some of the people that I worked with. And it was getting a little, like, I, I knew what the right thing for me was. And they weren't, they, they weren't, we weren't seeing eye to eye. Um, and so I thought, oh, you know, I could probably do that job. And so I applied for it and I got it. And that's how I ended up really in management. I did a lot of IT work during that time as well. So I kind of had a job where I was doing some IT work and then I was doing hospital administration kind of stuff. Um, and then went to Siemens and I worked at Siemens for seven years, six, six or seven years in EMR development and design. And then this job got electronic posted. medical records. Exactly. Electro thank you. Electronic medical records. And then I got, then I, you know, this job, I got, you know, somebody front post uh, forwarded me this job and it just sort of evolved. And so the job, you know, the, whoa, whoa, whoa. We're going to start talking about evolution again. <laughs> yeah. I mean, is this, uh, is this that, an attack? Right? So I Dr. Mean, Nichols, uh -huh. are you religious? I am religious. Okay. Do you mind if I ask no, what please. religion you are? Yeah. I'm Roman Catholic. Okay. Okay. Have you ever heard the deacon preach? I have not. It's quite except for Except for this, yeah. for this uh, podcast. I love it. Well, I want to thank Angie Nicholas for coming on the podcast. And I want to say... I want to give her a proper <clears throat> holler. Yes. Yes. I think that it is amazing that people in their lives do different jobs, manage huge corporations while they're going through tough things in their life. And today, one of the things we're gonna talk about is grief. Ooh. And Dr. Nicholas went through the process of mm -hmm. having her husband get sick with cancer and pass. And so grief is something that I don't think we talk about enough. And I think when 
sometimes when someone has a loved one that dies, people are almost scared to talk about it yeah. and scared to ask about yeah. it. So today, uh, she has been willing to tell us um, about her husband yep. and this process. Okay. And so I'm going to give an open to start. My question is. Did the grieving process start when your husband got sick or did it start when he died and and how did that change? And tell us a little bit more. Okay. So, um, it's probably important. I'll just sort of tell you the whole story altogether. So he was 45 years old, had a couple of weeks of some bowel symptoms, a couple of weeks of some bowel symptoms and, uh, uh, went to the, went to his family doctor who then sent him to a GI doctor who then scheduled a colonoscopy all within three days. I mean, it, there was, you know, quick, quick, quick. Um, I was actually interviewing for this job wow. and got a phone call um, right as the interview completed. And the doctor said that your husband has cancer. I'm like, oh God, you have the wrong person. I said, I'm John McLeod's wife. I, you couldn't possibly, he couldn't possibly have cancer. He's only 45. And he says to me, where are you? And I said, well, I'm in the car. And he said, are you driving? And I said, no, no, I haven't started driving. And he says, okay, good. Don't put the key in the, in the ignition. I need you to sit and li- listen to me. And told me the story again. So that was a little traumatic, as you can imagine. I get home, you know, we're talking. And, um, you know, I, my initial thought was, you know, he'd be, he'd be dead in a year. And he had, he had colon cancer. So, you know, long story short, um, and a very, very long story short. He so had, as yeah, the doctor, yeah. at this point, they then did a CAT scan, which showed his right. cancer was in Correct. other places other than his colon yes. at this point. Yes. yes. So is that, that's when they say it had metastasized? Correct. Is that yeah. right? Correct. Stage yeah. 4 metastatic cancer. Cancer in his liver, cancer in his lungs. Um, and then we start on this, you know, this, you know, huge treatment. And, and in my head, he was not going to survive a year. So, you know, it, that's shock, right? It's shock. It's disbelief. It's... This can't possibly be true. And then for me, I get into fix-it mode. You know, I'm a task-oriented person. Like, start checking things, make a list, and start checking things off the list. And so we start treatment. And um, he did well. He did really well for, uh, for four years, really. I mean, he, he had lots of treatments. He had surgeries, you know, all those things. And, yes, they were bumps in the road and some mini mountains, you know, we had to climb. Um, and... And the whole time, you know, you know, in the back of my head was, you know, you know where this is going. But in the front, you know, in my mouth coming out was, oh, John's doing great. This is all going to be great, you know. And, and you don't really want to acknowledge any of this, you know. And he had two daughters. Um, you know, his youngest one was nine when he was diagnosed. So yeah. that was really hard. I mean, she's nine years old. Um, and we just really wanted to live our life. I mean... You know, we, we met very late in my, I mean, we were, I was in my forties when we got married and, um, you know, so we were like all about like living our life and having a good time and parties and fun and, you know, doing great things. Um, and then the last, probably the last nine months of his life was, was pretty rough. Um, and he got really sick and he got really sick in Arizona. And that was the first time that somebody said he's going to die. And it was, it was pretty abrupt, I think, you know, yes, he was right. But my response to him was, yeah, he's going to die, but he's not dying tonight. And for sure he's not dying here in Phoenix, Arizona, you know, and, um, you know, and then you get into fix it mode. And then we had a period of time from, 
you know, from that time in November to April when he was in and out of the hospital a lot. And, and that was really challenging. You know, I had a full-time job and wanted to do my job well and I had patients and all these things, but you know, I didn't want to acknowledge the, the fact that my husband was dying and, and, you know, looking back on it now, he was dying, you know, he, he yeah. really was. And, and so the grief, you know, you put the grief in the back of your head and these thoughts in the back of your head, because your brain can only handle so much. Your brain can only handle the tasks that you have to accomplish. I have to get up in the morning. I have to take care of his medicines. I have to get to work. I have to come home from work. I have mm. to take care of his medicines. I have to make sure he's eaten. I have to be like, you know, you go through all these tasks of things. What was he saying at this time? He's going to live forever. Yeah. Because his wife is going to find something to cure him. Mm. He did not seem like he had a sense that I realized that the end is near. Um, I think he knew, but nobody wanted to say it. Yeah. And that, that's hard. You know, he's 50 sure. years old at that point, you know? Uh, I, at times, with patients, feel like I've given honest assessments of where they're at. Yeah. And not always has it been taken well. Yeah. I, I think I'm actually less honest and straightforward than I used to be. Yeah. You know, yeah. I, I had someone once call me afterwards and said, my dad's real bummed out. And I was like, why? And like, well, you told him he's dying. And I was like, did no one realize? Yeah. Your father think, was dying. You know, I'm not a, I'm not a physician, mm-hmm. right? But I often deal with people in a in a state of disbelief, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Who are who are looking at a path and and it's going to go one way or another. Right. And oftentimes, there really is no choice. The path is going where it's going, and, yeah. and yeah. their choice is really their response. Yep. And I think we can never. Sugarcoat now, especially I, and you know both. I think both both places, a place of faith and a place of of science, mm-hmm. can both be uh, come off as a place because you experience the same thing of mistrust from sure. those we're working oh, with course. and talking to because they yeah. said, "Well, no, that's not the truth, right? There's no way that that is the end result of this right. path, yeah. right? I'm not going to die." My, my partner is not going to die. And at the end, I'm not going to have to choose. And if we do die, there is no, you know, afterlife. You know, it, grief can come on sooner. I think, Doc, you mentioned it earlier. Yeah. When did that grief really start? I think that yeah. was really a profound yeah. question. Yeah, and so the grief started in the beginning. with yeah. something called anticipatory grief. I mean, that's a, a, yeah. a you know, and, and, and I, I would say I'd have flashes of that and think about what would, you know, what, what would life be like? If he wasn't here, but you can't let yourself get, you can't let yourself do that because that, that'll, I mean, for me, for me, that not would have been, would not have been productive. Um, so, you know, but as he was going through that process of those last couple of months of his life, I called a really close friend whose husband had died uh, about six months before and said, you know, tell me about hospice. Tell me what that was like. And it was, um, you know, she, she kind of went through what that was like for her and, and her husband who had passed. Um, and I thought I was probably ready, but John wasn't ready. And, yeah. and it really needed to be his choice. And, and literally, he wasn't ready until the day, like the minute he died. I mean, he, wow. he, really, he really didn't, you know, I think it, 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 it was a tough, you know, you see people that die very peacefully. And I, I think his death was very peaceful, but it he didn't want to die. He wanted to live. He wanted to be here with us. And, you know, it's, so it's, it's hard. And I think, you know, as I, as I look back, I didn't allow myself to go through that grief at that time because it would have been too hard to, to, to try to take care of him and to grieve at the same time. I really had to very compartmentalize 
what was going on. Yeah. I mean, it sounds like during that time, not only were you wife, but you were also doctor. Oh, yeah. And caretaker. And caretaker. And caretaker. Right. And basically, <laughs> your needs were completely put off for fair oh, reason yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Until, until after he yeah. passed. Yeah. With grief, they always talk about the five stages of grief. And I think what people don't realize at these five stages do not go in order and you can go back and forth. Yeah. And so we're going to, if you don't mind, we're going to talk through some of these stages yeah. of grief just to see how your different feelings were when you went through them and if you experience each one. And um, so number one, denial. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. I, I think after, you know, you, you, it, we traveled a lot for work when we first met and and we actually lived three hours apart when we first met. So it was very easy. Oh, he's not here because he's somewhere else, you know? Uh, unfortunately, that somewhere else was celestial. Um, and so it's very easy mm. to just pretend like it wasn't happening. Um, but I don't think I went through denial for very long. I mean, I think I was pretty... I think by the time it happened, I, I mean, honestly, I think we were all ready for his suffering to end. And mm. so I, I really didn't... I don't think, at least... I. I went through a large period of denial. I mean, I, I was pretty sure he wasn't here. Okay. Anger. Oh, I'm pretty angry. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and, it, and it's hard. Like, imagine, you know, again, I, I mean, we, you know, we, we met, you know, later in life and, you know, we were married. I mean, our second anniversary was chemo day. You wow. know? So how long, how long has it been since John's been? So John died two years ago in April. Okay. So two and a half years ago. Um, and... Um, you know, our 10th anniversary would have been this past New Year's Eve that just mm. passed. Mm. So, you know, again, our, our second, you know, our second anniversary was our, uh, one, two, I'm, I'm lying to you. My, th- our third anniversary was chemo. And, um, you know, so we weren't married very long before, you know, before all this, you know, kind of hits the fan. Um, I was angry. You know, I felt, I, I really struggled with, I had a life plan and that plan included him yeah. and now he's not here and now I have to, in my head, I felt like I had to continue that life plan without him. And, and maybe we'll get back to that at some point because it's an interesting part of my grief process of kind of mm. what happened after that, you know, as, as time has evolved. Um, but I, I was pretty angry and I'm still kind of angry. You know, it's, you know, I, I, I said something the other day to a friend of mine. It's like, you know, it sucks I have to, it sucks I have, to have this conversation, you know, because my husband died. Like, what the heck? Yeah. You know? It's not fair. No. No. Well, yeah, I can't blame you for being angry. Yeah. And, and, and I think anger is an emotion that we all should have. Yeah. Dealing with the anger you have while also trying to get back and in, enjoying the simple things in life and right. holding a job and trying not to fire the doc or all right, things right, to right, do exactly. at the same yeah. time. Well, you know, when we don't deal with anger, right, we don't have healthy expressions of our anger, it mm-hmm. can come out in places that where the consequences for that anger yeah. are greater than what was intended, right? So right. it's important. I, I don't think, and we can talk about this again later, I, I think uh, Angie was talking about it a little bit in uh, the permission. You know, there's two places we need permission. A, we have to give ourselves permission to grieve. And then secondly, yeah. I think we look to the outside world for when is it appropriate for me to grieve or my grieving to end and me to move on and just live life and recognize, you know, because I can't imagine how many times during the process you had to tell the story. Yeah. 
Yeah. And still to this day, you're yeah. telling the story, right? Yeah. During that, how's John? <clears throat> right, exactly. How's, exactly. How you doing? And yeah. the, the looks of empathy. Yeah. You know, everybody tilts their Or how you doing? They yeah. just avoid yeah. you altogether because yeah. they don't know what to say. Yeah. Right? Yeah. We see it in the church. You know, we have a, a, a specifically um, with people who lose a loved one young mm-hmm. or lose a child. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Outlive their children. Yeah. You know, the, <clears throat> the, the permission to live. Not even the permission to grieve. Yeah, yeah. But the permission point. to live yeah. is something that um, that we don't allow for. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Bargaining. Do you feel like yeah. you went through that stage? Um, so I, a lot of bargaining, interesting, interestingly, is about guilt, right? Mm. It's about... You are Catholic. I, I am. And Do you we're feel all like you have guilt. more bargaining because yeah, you're Catholic? Yeah, well, I don't know. Maybe. I'm Italian too, which, you know, it's, it's like a double win. It's whammy. Wednesday. Did you go to a mass already today? Well, I didn't eat meat, so Perfect. there you go. <laughs> That's pretty good. We'll take that as a plus one. Yeah, there one. you go. So, so I, think the, I think the guilt thing, you know, if I only had, if I had, if I had taken him to the hospital sooner, if I had thought about the fact that, you know, his aunt had colon cancer the year before and what if I had done this and what if I had done that, like... None of that's productive, you know, and, and I, I gave myself permission very early on, probably six months into it to stop that because it wasn't helping me. And in fact, it was just making it worse. And I just had to say, you know, I have to let it go. Like what happened, happened. I I mean, thank, I mean, honestly, I got him to the doctor as quickly as I knew about the problem that he had. I couldn't have been any faster and doggone it, he lived five and a half years with metastatic yeah. cancer. I, I think I was pretty darn lucky. Yeah. You know? I agree. I agree. The last two stages, depression, which I think everyone goes through it to yeah. some extent, yeah. and then acceptance. Do you feel it's only been two and a half years? Are you, do you think you'll ever get to the point of acceptance? Well, so I'm going to argue with you a little bit. There's a, there's a sixth stage, yeah. actually, which is purpose. Hmm. So, so do I ever get through? So the depression thing, I mean, I, I would say, you know, in the beginning, you know, for sure, cried every day, multiple times a day, could, you know, some day, sometimes couldn't get through the day. Yeah. And, you know, time changes, your grief changes and, and your process, your thought process changes every day around good day, bad day, thinking about things. I think now, you know, I think now acceptance for me is being able to laugh about you know, when, when I think about John, I think about some of the funny stories and some of the funny things. And when, when we're with friends, you know, we tell funny stories, you know, and he was quite a character. And, you know, we have a lot of funny stories about stupid crap he did, you know. <laughs> so um, that would have been, you know, that, that those things are, are good. And that's, what's, that's what I remember now. And I really try not to remember some of the, some of the harder times that we had because it was hard. And you know, like that's what, that's what our loved ones I think want us to do. They want us to remember those good times and keep that in our head. So this thing around finding a purpose. So Elizabeth Kubler-Ross, who came up with those five stages, had a colleague whose name I will never remember, um, who came up with that sixth stage, finding a purpose. And so um, John was very involved in the colorectal cancer community and um, was on the board of an organization called Fight Colorectal Cancer. And when he died, they asked me to take his seat. And now I'm the chairman of that board. Um, and that is my purpose now. You know, so his death was a horrible thing. But now I'm part of an organization that hopefully can prevent one. If I prevent one more person from getting colon cancer, 
I've done my job, you know. And, and, and what do you what I've, do you do? Is this is this? Do you recommend Colaguard? Like, what do you talk about in regard? I'm, I'm, I'm being honest. Yeah, yeah. What do you talk about in regard yes, to the, how do we prevent it? The answer is yes. Early early what, detection. Early. So we so our group was part of the group that helped to move the early the stage or the um, the age of colon cancer screening, colorectal cancer screening, to forty five. Yeah. Um, I will support whatever method of screening the patient will do. Colaguard, colonoscopy, you know, fit, fit test. Are we going to um, do a colonoscopy live tonight? We are not. Ooh, we are not. Not okay. tonight. But Tomorrow, you are, you are almost old enough. Here's your prep. Here, <laughs> drink up. Well, with grief, that is one of the things. When, when someone's going through grief, some of the recommendations they have is ask people about their loved ones. Mm-hmm. So now, this is questions about John. Mm-hmm. Are you ready? I'm ready. So first, uh, what was his go-to beverage? If he was here on Doc oh. and the Deacon, what would his go-to beverage be? It would have been for sure scotch. Okay. Yeah, he's a scotch guy. And I will tell you, so funny little story, little little oh, uh, sidetrack. Yeah. Um, so pandemic time happens, right? And so you're sort of stuck in the house, and my sister was with me. Um, and I, you know, he liked scotch, but he also liked whiskey, and he liked... Um, you know, every other brown liquor that there is bourbon and, sure. and I didn't have a taste for any of it. And, um, so one day I'm sitting there, I'm talking to my sister. I'm like, you know what? We need to start drinking this stuff. And every day we tasted a different one for something like 34 days, like yeah. literally that many bottles. And now I'm a huge brown liquor now, fan. Now do you know I if he was it. a Highlands or a Lowlands or a oh, single Highlands. malt? Highlands. Highlands okay. and single malt. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I love it. I love it. Um, what was his favorite band? Oh, probably the Beatles. The Beatles. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, the Beatles. He's a big Beatles fan. Who was the first one to say, I love you? Who saw each other first? How did this happen? Talk uh, me through your first oh meeting. Like, <laughs> like, like, does he walk over and he sees you across the room? Does he come over with a cheesy line? Like, how did, how did, how did he? You know, the doc and the deacon, yeah, yeah. we often talk about our first meeting from across yeah, yeah, the room. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. We want to hear about yeah. yours. Yeah. All right. All right. Um, so I was a customer of the company that he worked for. And I was at a user group meeting and I had known him. We had pictures of us at parties together for years before that. But I mean, we sort of like, you know, acquaintances kind of knew each other. And, um, a friend of mine, um, was asking questions about him and he said, you know, um, I, I'm, I'm not sure what his sexual orientation is. And I'm like, what do you mean? And he's like, I, I don't know. Like, I'm not sure if he's straight or if he's homosexual. And I'm like, well, I'm going to go find out. I'm going to ask him. Yeah. Push my chair back walk over, start talking to him. And I had this thing around, I wanted to leave at leave this party by midnight because I had to be up very early the next day. Start talking to him, having a good time. I was in this fun. And my friend Tim comes over and says, hey, it's time to go home, it's midnight. I'm like, yeah, no. Got the angel sitting on one shoulder and the devil on the other and I'm listening to the devil. I love it. Woo! There you go. There you go. Uh, so <laughs> I love how the deacon cheers for the devil. That's right. I'm cheering, cheering for the, the angel. Oh, you're uh, cheering for the angel. Yeah, I cheered okay. for the, the devil one that okay. night. Okay. So um, he was the first one to say, I love you. Okay. That's awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. And did you say it right back or did I you did. like give him, oh, okay. I did. And the funny thing is I said to him, this is funny actually, I said, I swore I wasn't going to say this tonight. I love it. Yeah. I love it. So, <laughs> how long did that take? It took about, uh, uh, probably about a a little, little less than a month, maybe yeah. maybe a little more, maybe a little more than a month around okay. around that time frame. I love that. I love that. Well, how long did it take us <laughs> to say I love you to each other? <laughs> yes. How long did it take? I don't remember. Well, I feel like I love the deacon just as much as I hate him, but I love him more. Yeah. Oh, we found love pretty quickly. Yeah. And I think that when somebody goes through grief, we want to make sure that initially. 
their basic needs are being met, right? Mm-hmm. Do you yep. have food? Yep. Exactly. Do you have you sleep? Yeah. We also want to normalize the experience. Mm-hmm. You know, we try to turn everything into a diagnosis, right? Grief is a complicated grief. And the honest truth is sometimes we just need to step back and offer help and make sure that we're asking people about, hey, yeah, how are you doing? Right. Um, tell me. Well, sometimes you know, they don't want to hear. They don't. Sometimes they just want to have a good time. Yeah, I agree. Right. And not think about and not think about it. Right. I agree. Exactly. So I'll tell you, since we talk all the time where I don't know what to say, is in the receiving line at a funeral. I went oh, God, to a yes. funeral and I was at oh, a wake. I, hate I went to a wake. Yes. And I didn't know what to say just this last weekend. And I said, hey, my man, I'm sorry your mom died. Do you think Jalen Hurts is the answer at quarterback going forward? <laughs> right. I knew he just wanted to hear yeah, something yeah, else. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly. And um, I remember my, uh, my partner, Dr. Malik, who I know we've talked about when he died. We go through the line and I go up and I see his uh, family and I grab them and I go, I hope you guys know that there was a day that Kevin and I went to happy hour and the nurses were going to meet us there and we went and sat there first and then I went in to go to the bathroom and realized they had told us to meet at a gay bar and so (laughs) Kevin and I sat drinking beer (laughs) by ourselves as all these people from the town we work in walked by and I was like hmm and I told them that story in the line as we walked by and we looked at each other and we're like you know, this place is actually fun. Nobody's going to think this. Nobody. So I texted my wife at the time and said, hey, I'm with Kevin and it's appropriate. Yeah. Um, so my question for you is, what is, did anybody say anything terrible? Is there anything like people said after your husband passed? You're like, ah, why do you ask me this? And, and is there right and wrong things to say to someone after their husband dies? You know, I, I mean, my perspective on it is everyone's trying to be kind and, and caring. And you know what? Whatever you say is okay with me. Like I, you know, I, I try to give people grace. Like, you know, you don't know what to say. And, and I, I mean, even still, you know, my husband dies. I don't know what to say to people when, you know, and you know what, sometimes it's, it's okay to say, I'm really sorry. I don't know what to say. Yeah. You know? And, and, and so I, I, I mean, I, I think, I think in general, I just, I give everybody a pass. Okay. I just, I, you know, it's, it's a hard thing and, and it's, it's, it's just being there is enough, you know? And I think about, the hundreds of people that came to say, you know, gosh, your husband was so great. You know, yeah. we, we're going to miss him. That that's that's what that's what I remember. I don't remember the little things that people said. So I only met him a few times, but I take care of a lot of people that go to the country club that I know he hung mm-hmm. out at, and so people would come in and talk about him all the time. Oh, that's great. Yeah, yeah, and you know, Kevin, was he a good golfer? Oh my God, he was a great golfer. Yeah, he. Um, he he was he was better in his head, I think, than he actually was on the course. Um, but he golfed every day, oh. and I didn't know that until um, actually at his viewing, the um, the owner of the country club came in and he said, "You know, I'm going to really miss John." And you know, I, I talked to John every day, and I'm like, "What do you mean?" He's like, "I was at the club every day." I'm like, "Well, yeah, like you know, a couple times a week." He's like, "No, no, no, every day, even the days were closed." And then I start looking at the bills. Holy crap. He was there literally every day. Every single day playing golf. Wow. So, Is yeah. that why you don't pay me more? It could be. <laughs> yeah. Except that it's not coming out of my money. Right. So, you know. So, I have a random question for you. Okay. Your husband dies. Uh-huh. You are still a human being. At yep. some point, think of acceptance. Yep. How long after he passed, does someone actually hit on you? <laughs> Did anyone hit on you at the funeral? No. Nobody hit on me at the funeral. Okay. That's funny. 
Um, um, let's see. I, you know, I, I don't, I don't know that anybody's actually really hit on me. Yet? I can't, I'm sitting across from uh-huh. you. There's no way I believe that's true. You're sitting very far away as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's yeah. no way I believe that's true. Yeah, I, I don't, I, well, I don't know. Maybe I'm a little more naive. I, I think I, I, I have a couple of stories that are probably not for podcasts that are kind of funny. Um, I mean, you realize this is a funny podcast. Yeah, yeah, You've I heard know. this, right? I know, but, but <laughs> not for, not for yes. this podcast, <laughs> no. but maybe another podcast. Yes. Um, but, you know, it's a, it's a life, you know, I, it took me, it, it, it took me about, so I'll, I'll tell you how I sort of like, like got like into the, a little bit more into the groove. So in, um, in November, I decided I was going away for Christmas. You couldn't keep me here in Pennsylvania. I was going away. A friend of mine said to me, go here and sent me a text of a place in Costa Rica. And that was Mm. it, man. I'm going to Costa Rica. I'm going for Christmas. I fly to Costa Rica on my birthday, which was the, I don't know, eighth, eighth month anniversary of John's death. And I'm a mess. I'm like crying the entire like two plane rides and you know I get to this beautiful resort and I'm like okay this is going to be okay day two I'm sitting at the bar having dinner so the first day is my birthday and I'm like you know I'm feeling very sorry for myself because yeah. you know nobody I mean you, you know don't like stamp on a bar like hey everybody it's my birthday you know at, at the, least the I didn't do that all right sorry everybody my birthday's in August I tell everybody um so the next day I'm having dinner and I'm sitting at the bar and this guy, I don't wear my Peloton shirt because I'm a huge Peloton fan, mm-hmm. which helps with my anger, by the way. Yeah. Um, and this guy at the other end of the bar says, hey, you know, do you have a Peloton? No. Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I do. Oh, do you like it? Start talking about it. Oh, my wife's here. Start talking to her. And they were both here because his wife had died four years earlier. Her daughter had died four years earlier. They lived in the mm. same town. They met. They got married, decided to get away every year for the holiday. And I met this couple. And the next night then, they invited me for, to have Christmas Eve dinner with them and a couple of people from their hotel. And Peter told this story um, about how he was basically in the fetal position in his bed, you know, for months after his wife died. And a friend of his gave, gave him this book, um, The Year of Yes by Chandra Rhimes. Chandra Rhimes. Yeah, yeah, Chandra Rhimes. And he then read the book and realized like, oh my gosh, like I've got to do this. Like I've just got to like experience things. And, and basically he said, we were talking about grief actually at this dinner. And he said to me, you know, what would happen if you just said yes for a year? Mm. And I was like, huh? Yeah. What would happen? Because it was a lot of no. Like I was like, oh, I don't feel like doing that. I don't feel like doing that. I don't feel like doing that. I still went out and I went out with my friends because I felt like that was the right thing to do. But then I came home. And I was like a totally new attitude. I mean, I, you know, it, it went for a week. I went for a week of like introspection and yoga and working out and, and reading books. And I did none of that. Like it was, you know, day drinking and hiking and, you know, learning, you know, thinking about Of course, about Rica is some of the best rainforests in oh, the yeah. world, right? Oh, it was phenomenal. Yeah. yeah awesome. And I met really amazing people. And that couple are still very dear friends to me today. Um, and really like refocused me and really got me on this path of, Okay, like it's just you now. You've got to figure out what your life is going to be like. Hmm. And then whammo, the pandemic, right? Yeah. And now here I am by myself. So my mom had who had been living with me was now living with my sister because everyone's afraid I'm going to infect my mom. So I'm, you know, I'm I'm now by myself most of the time. And it really, you know, I had to sit in my grief. I really had to sit in all of those stages. And I will tell you, there are nights I went back and forth, you know? Being a medical director in a pandemic does right. not sound like a fun job. No, it was not. 
Um, and then, you know... Some of the doctors showed up to work every day. Yeah, I know. So did I. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> there you go. Um, but, but, you know, you had to like... You had to... Uh, you had to I had to sit in my grief and really feel it. And then I was like, okay, what do I want to do? What does my life look like now? Yeah. What's going to make me happy? And then I did a year of like bike rides and I... I mean, I, I rode my bike a ton. I mean, I just, when I didn't know what to do with myself, I got on my bike. Yeah. Um, and I went on trips. I went on bike trips. Your actual bike or your stationary bike where both, you rode to nowhere? Okay. Both. <laughs> I, rode my, I rode my actual bike a lot. I went to Oregon and rode. I, and I really have found I really enjoy pushing myself really hard um, into things I'm not comfortable with. Like, I like making myself uncomfortable now. It's kind of fun. Mm, that's awesome. I went snowshoeing. I went cross-country skiing. I mean, and I, and I did... All of these vacations by myself, yeah. which is really uncomfortable, yeah. right? Like what 50-year-old woman travels by herself? What person in general says, hey, you know the fun part about skiing where you go downhill and you go really fast? Well, you know the part in the middle where you go side to side and you trip over your feet going up into the part where you sit on the seat to go up the mountain? Let's do that for miles. Yeah. That's called cross-country skiing. That's what I did. <laughs> That's very yeah. awkward. Yeah. I know. It was really fun, though. Like, who would repeat that over and over, over and over and over again? Over and over and over again. And, um, and it really just helped me, you know, reshape, like, who I am. And I had to really come out of this. You know, I'm a very different person, I think, than I was before. And, you know, I, I often say, like, I, I don't know if John would like me anymore. I don't know. But, but I, I have a new, like, I, you know, I, I know what I like now. I know what I want to do. I... I'm, I'm, you know, purposed. I have my fight CRC. I have my job, you know, at Einstein. I have my patients and I love to bike ride and I love to run and I love to, you know, I love to try new things. And, and so I'm doing all that. I mean, I honestly think that you are a role model to all those who went through grief and who went through loss. You found purpose. Yeah, I did. Thank you. In his passing. Yeah. I want to make sure that we always ask and hear about John and hear stories, but you as a person and all of us as people need to continue to change, right? And you need to experience life. And uh, I think that the fact that you were able to let others hear what you went through is pretty amazing because so many people go through this, but you don't actually hear their story and hear how they felt. And oftentimes hearing what others went through, uh, I feel like will make someone else brave enough mm-hmm. to change as the people they were and to make sure that they're telling mm-hmm. others about the story. Well, you know, we're definitely, uh, no matter what happens, right? Yeah. I think, you know, there's a, there's, a, there's a story in the Bible about David and his best friend Jonathan and Jonathan's dad Saul and Saul had, you know, pretty much groomed David to be a king in, instead of his own son. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. And and then uh, and, and Saul and David fought many years and, and David hid from Saul. Old and Testament. Then, there's fighting. Old Testament. Oh, yeah. First, Sam, first and second <laughs> Samuel, man. You, you read all about the story of David and, and, and Jonathan and Saul. And, you know, even when Saul was killed, even though he was pursuing David to kill him, uh, David's grief was so he, he heard the story. And a, a gentleman came and told him and said, hey, I, I saw him on the battlefield and he was laying on his sword and he was about to die. And, and he asked who I was. And I said, I was a Malachite. And I said, he said, kill me 
and I stabbed him with his sword and finished the job and I brought his crown here to you. And David was so uh, grief stricken, he ripped his clothes. They say he's tore his sackcloth. I mean, I don't even know what a sackcloth is, right? But he tore it. Yeah. And then everybody tore their sackcloths. And it's interesting because David describes, I mean, this was an enemy of his who he had loved and, and, and even modeled his life after in some ways. And then his, when his son died, when he found out Jonathan died, David wrote a poem and talked about Jonathan's love being greater than that in his life of, a, of the love of any woman. Hmm. And sometimes that makes me think about you, Doc. Aww. Right? And I appreciate that. If something I appreciate was to happen, I know for sure, I would find myself grabbing a drink, pouring out a 40, and probably singing a song, uh, you know, like Puff Daddy did for Biggie, right? <laughs> like, you know, still making stages to receive you on, still can't believe you're gone, give anything to hear half your breath, because you're still living your life after death. Every step I take, every move I make, every single day, every time I pray, I'll, I'll be, be missing you. You know, we never know how grief's going to strike. We know that we're all going to face it. And, and I think uh, what we talked about tonight, to hear stories of John was pretty cool. Yeah. Thanks. And, uh, you know, I know my cousin, my... I, uh, just lost a battle with glioblastoma uh, last year. Mm -hmm. And it was very similar. His My cousin, his wife, um, fought that battle. And so, Kevin, we love you. We miss you. Um, and I hope we keep hearing stories about you and you live on. I, I think we all have that one person that we know that's faced a time of grief. And I hope you know that we'll always be missing you. Yeah. And uh, the doc is in to listen and the deacon speaks and i don't think it gets old to say every step i take and every move i make every single day every time i pray i'll be missing you this episode is dedicated to john uh, rest in peace two things you can count on the doc is in and the deacon speaks thank you so much to our producer, Tucker Butler, our rapper franchise. I can't wait to hear the recap on this one. Thank you so much to Einstein's wonderful, wonderful leader. Thank you. Appreciate yeah. that. Angie, nice. we appreciate you coming out, <clears throat> sharing that story, being open and vulnerable with us. Uh, what a great testament to uh, adversity and really dealing with grief and, and coming out on the other side. By the way, she said she's a Roman Catholic, so... We what? forgive her for that. One Dude. point, one point. <laughs> Excellent, brain trust to market it, brand this, that's set in stone like the Ten Commandments. This show gonna be around for infinite years. I think we can all agree on ice cold beers. 100% authentic, you can't fake it. Often imitated, but never duplicated. So knowledgeable, take a lot of facts in. Now I'm coming to close it like a Roldish Chapman.